Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. Darren joins us for our end-of-month review show, which includes Joker, The Irishman and El Camino. The reviews continue with Darren's Dash, which this month includes Judy, Don't Let Go and Good Posture. After that, Steve is back to tell us what treats Cineworld Cinemas have in store for us for the rest of the year. Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. For the month of Halloween, the British political world of movies have merged. In fact, you could say, ready or not, the floppy-haired Joker is in charge and seems to be taking us to Zombieland. (laughs) Hi, my name is Graham. My main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. Oh dear, Jeff, that was terrible. At least you didn't say Terminator Dark Fate. Now that would push people over the edge. Hi, my name's Neil and I just like films. All I can add to this conversation is that October has been abominable. Oh, excellent. Now, listeners... I feel I must start this show with an apology to you. I'm sure you owe everyone at least one. For making me edit out streams of politically incorrect comments for the last time you spoke? You're wrong on both counts. In fact, I'm apologising for both us. Us? Why? Well, our Twitter followers will know what I'm going to say, so it won't come as a complete surprise to them. They saw this car crash as it happened. You see, the intention during October was, as a group, to watch a horror film a day and maybe raise some money for charity, you know, for the kids. (laughs) Jeff and charity, not words that normally go together. Agreed. I don't like where this is going. Yeah, Graham, you say that quite a lot. It's like (laughs) in Star Wars when they say, I've got a bad feeling about this. As you know, I work with two wimps when it comes to horror movies. And I thought I would trial this idea before going wide with our intentions. I just kept it to our small group of Twitter followers, now over a thousand, (laughs) and I advised them of my honourable intentions. Jeff and honourable, another two words that don't normally go together. I will ignore the insults and carry on. Our listeners deserve the truth. The truth? You can handle the truth. Yeah, not exactly Jack, is it? No, it's not Jack. (laughs) I was initially very excited to be doing something for charity, you know, for kids. (laughs) But I had to see where to set the bar. (laughs) Oh, God. I had to see where to set the bar for this idea. I didn't know what would be an acceptable standard of horror film for Neil and Graham to watch. And I didn't want to set the bar too low and then get bored. Jeff, your nose is growing. So I thought a horror that was British and 15 years old would be a good test. So for day one, I chose Neil Marshall's The Descent. I must admit the reaction was somewhat extreme, though to be fair, Graham had regained the power of speech by the next day. Only. Although Neil's therapist wasn't happy with me. I'd be livid's the word I'd use. <laughs> I could have left it there as a failure on day one. But, you know, as I said earlier, it's for the kids. <laughs> and I was determined we were going to do our bit for charity. Oh, Jeff, it's Halloween, not Easter. Get down off the cross. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. I left it for a few days for them to be fully recovered. And then I readjusted the bar once more. Don't forget, this is for the kids. <laughs> This time, 
I went for a film over 60 years old, Hammer's Dracula, horror of Dracula to our American listeners. What could possibly go wrong? Lots. Also, you told us we were going to watch an animated feature. Well, the film is almost the same age as you, Neil. I thought it would work. It didn't. And so ended my charitable efforts for the year, you know, for the kids. Nothing stopping you just donating. See, you, you can hear them now, all brave. But if you're actually in the room with us as we're recording, you could see the results of my failure. Neil can now only go out at night wearing high collars so that no one would bite him on the neck, although I understand it never used to bother him. Graham is wearing a necklace of garlic bulbs. That smell is horrendous. Sorry. <laughs> so once again, faithful listeners, and you, the kids, I apologise for the failure of what would have been an honourable task. What a load of bollocks. If you want real facts, here are some interesting facts about our recent downloads <laughs> moving out of Jeff's imaginary world. We, as a podcast, are continuing to grow our base. We now have more than 600 users on Spotify, of which 50 are regularly downloading our show. On the rest of the internet, we are now growing our user base quicker than we've ever done before. We matched our downloads for 2018 by April of this year, and we have put on an additional 55% since then. In the last three months, we almost had the same number of downloads as we did in the whole of last year. Country-wise, over the last month, South Africa just snuck into our top 10 this month. I think that might have been down to the Daniel Gad interview. The excellent Daniel Gad interview. Absolutely. And the Russian Federation is doing great business with record downloads. Jeff, have you said something? There's secret on our show that we didn't get. Well, Neil and I are going to be talking about official secrets soon. I think that might <laughs> so, tip yeah. us over the edge. However, that only puts them in 31st place, so safely far down the list. New entries this month is Turkey, and as ever, I have no idea why. Also, a couple of new regular listeners joined us from Costa Rica, Indonesia, and Thailand. Thanks for joining us, and we apologise in advance for Jeff. Thanks, Graham, for the returning some sanity. Let's go to our review desk where Jeff will be pleased to hear that our first film is about another person not living in the real world. Amazingly, other than Darren, I've seen the most films this month, so I get to introduce this section. How are you doing, Darren? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. You're a team member now, mate. You're locked in with us. One of us, one of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you start saying for the greater good. Yes. Um, right. Yeah, so heads up for anybody listening. Not only is Darren working with us every month now on reviews, but we got our first pod short together coming up on foreign language films, which we recorded with you uh, a couple of weeks ago now, isn't it? Coming up shortly. Yep. I've just started editing it. We'll have to do another one of those, Darren. <laughs> Obviously not foreign I'm language for films, we'll move on to something else. But Let's start with the films, and the only one we've all seen this month, Joker. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? 
All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they could do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Gotham City, early 1980s, or should I say New York? Arthur Fleck, Joaquin Phoenix, is a part-time clown and struggling stand-up comedian. Yet on the inside, he is as fractured as the dark and dirty city around him. As he loses his grip on sanity and finds it difficult to know what is real or imagined, he tumbles into a life of crime, into the world of the Joker. So Darren, is this controversial? but very successful film, worthy of all its hype. Definitely. Um, I have to say I was really glad to finally see this film because I've heard so much about it. There's been so much complete chaos on social media about this film by people not even seen it. To be honest, that sort of mirrors what goes on in this film because this film I thought was absolutely insane. I've got to say I was mesmerised by it from start to finish, mainly because of, of Joaquin Phoenix. And who is pretty much in virtually every single scene in, in this film, which, which sort of mirrors how self-indulgent this, this, you know, this, this character and how narcissistic he was. And he really ran all the sort of, you know, the gauntlets for me because there was time when I felt sorry for the, for the guy, for, for the cards that life had dealt him. I also got really annoyed with him because he was sort of so delusional. Um, I was terrified of him at times because it was just this slow descent into sort of in, insanity. And other times I found him like really unlikable. The whole descent of him just sort of, you know, I, I found quite sort of like disturbing. But just as disturbing was sort of, you know, the society around him. And for me, there, there was so much going on in there, you know, stuff about sort of like um, about the media, uh, you know, media manipulation, about society. And, and a lot of it sort of, you know, although it was um, set in the, uh, the 80s, um, was it set in the 80s or the 90s? I thought. <laughs> it, was set in, it was set in... Um, 81. 81. 81. Well, 81 to 82, possibly January yeah. 82. A lot of it was sort of, you know, you could obviously it was things that was going on at that time, but a lot of it sort of you know, was sort of very relevant today. And I just thought this film was absolutely uh, amazing, and it, it was it was disturbing. It, it wasn't. I, I have to say, I, for some reason, I was expecting more of sort of a lot more violence than we actually got. But I thought the tension was sort of so great that when you actually did get those um, brief spots of violence, it sort of it felt so much more. And um, but yeah, I, I thought this film was absolutely amazing. Again, excellent, and, uh, and and echoing most of what uh, Darren's just said. It had three of us talking for ages, didn't yes, it? Yes, it did. Um, yeah. About what we'd seen. For me, could any of it be true? Obviously, the relationship with the single mum down the on the hall, Zazie, played by Zazie Beetz, was made up. Sitting in the Murray Franklin audience, probably made up. Probably. But, if those two are made up, what else was made up? Did he kill the three stockbrokers on the train? How do we know what's true? I mean, it's called Joker. Is it the Joker or is he the Joker or a Joker? Or did he just see something like that and invent it? It's a fascinating film. Joaquin Phoenix is awesome. Yeah. What he does is portraying a man 
with uh, living a life with mental illness and delusional episodes. It's it's incredible. He lost what? How much? Three stone was it? And some of the sight of his torso when he's bending over and you can see ribs and bones and a backbone. Yeah, it wasn't nice. I got the feeling that it was it was pretty grimy. So when I was walking home, I really felt like I should go for a shower or something <laughs> afterwards or burn my clothes. It wasn't the nicest place. He wants to be funny, he wants to be loved and gets neither. It's quite a horrible uh, subject, really. It really does have the feel of early 80s, so it's sort of nods to Taxi Driver, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, King of Comedy, Network. Either was fantastic, remarkable film. I echo all of that and what Darren said as well. I, I just loved it from beginning to end. It totally took me by surprise. I was not expecting what I saw at all. I was expecting more comic book uh, focused movie and apart from just setting it in Gotham and a few references it was really a story of a man's descent into madness the standout bits for me was the fight in his apartment where and there's going to be spoilers in this so if you haven't seen Joker yet why not where he kills his colleague uh, murders him in front of the dwarf and then lets the dwarf go with a kiss on the head. It was just such a joker moment. You know, he's just totally unpredictable and weird. And it was totally off kilter. The cinematography was fantastic. Yes. The score was great and got us all talking. What's real? What's imagined? Standout performance, obviously, from Joaquin Phoenix. I also thought Robert De Niro was fabulous. Yeah. And Zazie Beetz as that sort of strange girl in the lift, which she just, she was only in it for a few minutes. And But I just thought it was all good. And then after that, where does the film end? <laughs> was, was one of the debates that Jeff and I had for hours. I, I think the very end of the film, and again, to reiterate the spoiler, where he's in handcuffs and being interviewed, you can take that as reality. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so I think that is generally agreed. What happens after where he's running down the corridor covered in blood, you don't know. But that sequence is, and I think I would say up to the murder of Robert De Niro is reality. What happens between that and that scene in the asylum is all fantasy. Yeah, with a few little exceptions. I think when he stood up, in the show and said, you know, I look after my mother and all of that I yep, think is fantasy. I think that was false. I think him kissing Zazie Beats was fantasy as well. Yep. I think him going up on stage and out on a date with Zazie Beats was also. Yeah, they've shown that that was fantasy. And fantasy. I think it's all de- but delusional I think episodes. I agree. But if he's capable of those, of those delusional episodes, how much... Else was. What's he seen on TV? Three stockbrokers. It's an unreliable narrator. uh, Oh, he's the ultimate unreliable narrator because he's insane. And in The uh, Dark Knight and uh, Killing Joke, it's also his his backstory is a a multiple choice. I thought a lot about this. I'm honestly not 100% sure. What what I found really interesting and I need to watch this again to be able to watch now for this stuff is the scene at the end, which we, I think we all agree on is real, where he's handcuffed and he's talking to the, uh, the woman in the asylum. I, I couldn't figure out whether that was the same woman who he spoke to in his therapy sessions earlier. I'm not now, sure. If I, I, I wasn't sure, but 
my feeling possibly is that the only things that were real in the film were the therapy sessions. <laughs> and that, it, it, yes. Because, yeah. because his character was so different in those sessions to the rest of the film. In the rest of the film, he had a sort of, like I said, there was a bit more sympathy to, towards him. You felt that he was sort of like, I won't say a nice guy at, at all or even likable, but somebody who was sort of, you know, like sort of trying and sort of like a victim and innocent. And yet when I was in the therapy sessions, there seemed to be more of an edge to him. Mm. The only thing I can think of is that that was kind of like the real him yeah. talking, whether, and the rest of it was either an act or it was things going on in his head. And again, it's just it's just like a possibility. I know there's, there's another theory or four, but everything that happened from the, uh, the the police car ride after he'd killed Robert De Niro, when he gets rescued, everything from that point onwards, where he sort of like sort of becomes like a hero, but that all fake and in his imagination. Um, but I, I won't be surprised if the majority of the film was actually in his head, because there's a thing about that therapy session as well, where it suddenly briefly goes to this moment where he's actually banging his head in an asylum. So he's obviously been in asylum at some point, and I wonder if he's actually in the asylum the whole time. Yeah, that was my theory, I think. He's actually never gets out of the asylum. And as you say, he sees things on a television, Murray Franklin on the TV, and just imagines himself in that state. And there's an argument, as I said to you guys, about the fridge. Those fridges were not designed to open from the inside. So the moment he gets in that fridge, that's the rest of it is him dying. And yeah. So there's so many theories. I mean, what will kill this thing is a sequel. Oh, I don't want them to do that. I don't that. want a sequel. No. I don't think it's even part of the DC universe. It's certainly not I, part I, of it. It's made so much money. I mean, I was reading today, it's made as much profit as Avengers Endgame because obviously that took a lot more to produce and, and this is now yeah. heading towards the billion mark. And it's all uh, Joaquin Phoenix. It's yeah. and, the, and I think the filmmakers deserve great credit showing a man basically disintegrating. Yeah. I think for me that's the big Mentally. shock that this is directed by Todd Phillips. I cannot get over that. I just no. cannot mm. get over that. I mean, the first hangover, okay, it was carefully plotted. What's true and what's real and what's remembered and what's not remembered was quite interestingly done. But, you know, the other two were dreadful. And then he comes out with this for his fourth film. It's just incredible. Fifth. Fifth. War Dogs. Was War Dogs, one. yes. You know me in superhero movies even supervillain movies, but I thought this is unsettling. I take all the points that were raised about King of Comedy. It is essentially King of Comedy, but much, much darker. It's one of the best films of the year. Um, me too, yeah. I thought his central performance was astounding. I love the bits where when he feels in control, his entire body slows down and he does yes. that almost very slow. And his walking becomes normal. Shuffle and his walking becomes normal. Uh, the rest of the time, he's got that mad sort of walking gait. As if he's wearing the big, big clown sh shoes. As if yeah, he's yeah. wearing the shoes, exactly. <laughs> and when he's when he's in control or he thinks he's in control, he's very slow and deliberate. Uh, and the other piece, when he when they open the curtains to bring him on to the show, that bit I thought was just a great piece of physical acting. So I think we're all in agreement. You, yep. as, you as well, Darren? Yeah, definitely. The one thing that actually I found surprising in the entire film, though, was the bit on the steps, which was a great scene. But yes. the music that was playing at that time. Yeah. Now, yeah, wow. which, yeah. which I, I, I wonder if we obviously to us British, 
we kind of know the connotation behind that. But I just yeah. wondered in America if, if that was just a, a complete oversight. We've had, yeah, we've had a discussion about that. I actually think that's morally bankrupt what they've done, but artistically brilliant. Because if you want to show the complete degradation of that character, you know, as he's dancing down the steps, he's on a high, he's got his makeup on, he's in full gear, he's all ready to go. Exactly what Gary Glitter was. And Gar- what Gary Glitter <laughs> was, to, to an extent. But, but also, you know, underneath the glamour of what he's doing is this, this song that CD. has these huge connotations yeah. now. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I don't... I mean, nobody uses that song, and it was used a lot in in hell of a lot of American movies, and it's never used. The Mighty Ducks, for example, uses rock and roll part too. And for any of our uh, listeners from abroad, uh, Gary Glitter is in jail. The man who produced that piece of music uh, as a paedophile, so and is re- reviled in the UK. Yes. So it was a shock for the yeah. uh, for that tune. Morally bankrupt, artistically brilliant. I think. Would Would you agree or not, Darren? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. All around. We all like that one. So let's move over to our next review, The Irishman. But now I'm a man. I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. It was like the army. You followed orders. You did the right thing. You got rewarded. I'm a man. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. friend at the top. Back then, there was nobody in this country who didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa was. Get the gun out of his hand! You always charge a guy with a gun. With a knife, you run away. So you charge with a gun, with a knife, you run. Hiya, Frank. Would you like to be a part of history? Yes, I would. Big business and the government are working together, trying to pull us apart. Something's got to be done. What else do you say? Now's not the time to not say. I'm a natural lover. We're going to war with these people. War. Things have gotten out of hand with our friends. You gotta sit down, everybody says so. No, I'm not sitting down, I can't do it. It's what it is. What it is. I know things. They don't know I know. It's gonna happen. Either way, he's going. A Martin Scorsese gangster epic running 209 minutes, truly epic, starring Robert De Niro as Frank Sheeran. Now, Sheeran became a mafia hitman after World War II, and the events of the film are basically Sheeran looking back at his life. He's covered such things as his early days, through to the corruption of the 1960s, and along the way, his developing friendship with Jimmy Hoffa. Neil, do you think this is going to be an awards winner? Quite possibly. I mean, this is Scorsese in his element. Some of the best actors of their generation, a de-aging process to send them back in time, and a film that can seemingly go on forever. The story is excellent, based on the book by Charles Brandt and the screenplay by Stephen Zalian. It's a history lesson, the rise and fall of Jimmy Hoffa, the Galacticos, De Niro, Pacino and Pesky. Wonderful. Three and a half hours, and I was never bored. Each shot created and shown to enhance the storyline and motivation of the characters. 
Pacino talks all the time. Pesci thinks and dispenses wisdom. De Niro listens. And he is fantastic in this film. And when did we last say that? Uh, when we reviewed s- The Joker. No, he wasn't. That He was better than The Joker. Oh, and definitely. Far, no, far no, better. No. The cinematography is excellent. Rodrigo Prieto, who also did Brokeback Mountain and Wolf of Wall Street, it's colossal and intimate and a triumph for these ageing giants. Yep, I really love this movie. This is classic Scorsese, staunchly old school, spanning half a century of mafia involvement in the Teamsters Union movement in post-war America. However, the approach taken to the production was very 21st century, with a new form of de-aging being used, which didn't require the actors to wear head rigs or have marker dots put on their face. This is a slow movie. It starts with a slow tracking shot through the care home where we meet the protagonist of the movie, Hitman Frank De Niro. The movie is told in flashbacks, but while I generally dislike that approach as I think it breaks up the flow of the movie, with this film the flashbacks are long and detailed. As with all Scorsese movies, the production values are exceptional. The cinematography is perfect and the acting is engrossing. I thought the film leads you through the life of Frank Sheeran in three hours, but at no time did I feel bored. Scorsese seems to place little packets of interesting details all the way through the film that pay off in later scenes. It's a masterful, careful construction and deployment of a story. All the characters are given enough time to come to life and I really got to understand all the interactions and loyalties between the characters. It was a masterclass in cinema. It's also a history lesson in post-war American politics and the pivotal role that the mafia played in that history. I can't, I just can't praise this film enough. I just thought it was great. The only thing that I thought was a bit off with this film, and it's only a tiny little thing, but I think it was to do with the de-aging their faces look great mm. and their bodies looked fine. They looked like they were 30 years younger than they actually were. But when Most, they moved. Well, when they moved, yes, <laughs> they almost had a shuffling gait of an old person. <laughs> and there was one scene where De Niro beats up a guy from the delicatessen who yeah. he thought he'd insulted his daughter. And he takes him outside and beats him up like an old man. And it was quite comical. I thought at that point, you needed body double for that and stick De Niro's face on the body double. But yeah, the, no time did it get that uncanny valley feeling for me. No time did I see it slipping or, or moving around. I thought the de-aging was great. Because it was the um, the the opening night, really, wasn't it? And yeah. we, sh- we saw it in the Cineworld. No, we saw it in the Roses Theatre. The Roses Theatre, so an art house the theatre. That was about three quarters of an hour, plus the, however, 289 minutes. It wasn't boring. No. It was no, it bizarre. Wasn't. I mean... Yeah. The interviews with the actors was hilarious because they were all smashed. They were all, all, smashed. <laughs> <laughs> all <laughs> off their trolley. I heard people say, "Oh no, they they don't have aged well. They're slurring their words." I think because of the alcohol, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it was. They were all drunk, and De Niro was complete. Not only was he drunk, his hair was drunk as well. <laughs> it was just like it was all over the place. How does it compare with classic? Scorsese, I'm thinking something like Goodfellas, Casino. It, there's an element of Goodfellas. Obviously, it's not as um, as violent and loud. Well, I think uh, Casino and 
Goodfellas, because I was talking about this uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, somebody else asked me the exact same question. I said, Goodfellas and Casino are really immediate. They're bang, they're in your face. Things are happening. Things are going. This is much more uh, an older man looking back at his life. And missing out the bits. Yeah. yeah, And it's very detailed. And it's like, if you've watched all the Scorsese movies and you like that, this is like a really good dessert. You know, you're going to sit down there, you're going to go, ah, that's the mafia's involvement in Cuba. Ah, that's the Bay of Pigs. Oh, there's Bobby Kennedy getting shot. And that's the reasons behind that. And oh, look. There's Frank doing this and Frank doing that. And because it's the hitman, the quiet one, he doesn't remember the parties. Yes. He doesn't remember all that because he wasn't there probably. Yeah. Or if he was, you know, he kept quiet and yeah. just listened. Yeah. And it is when Pesci and De Niro are working opposite one another, it's like, wow. Well, yeah, De Niro is fantastic because he doesn't say anything. It's all in his eyes yeah, and he facial just, expressions. And there's some scenes where he just sits between two people. Yeah. And doesn't move, doesn't say a word, and you think, I know exactly what he's thinking. They're telling him everything and they're explaining things and you can see it, just it's going in, yeah. And and there's some things which are a conflict for yeah. him. You can see him just trying to just go, no, I, I have to do this. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really, he really is very good. Yeah, beautifully edited, beautifully put Not together. Not coming out until middle of November, I don't yeah. think. Is Pesci as good as he is in the Lethal Weapon films? <laughs> he he's he's retired, so he kind of is most of his time is sitting or or and just dispensing wisdom, vicious, and, and exp- nasty, deadly oh, wisdom. Yes, because yes, <laughs> he's a mafia yes, okay, boss. Wisdom, wisdom. Yeah, very patiently explaining things and and introducing people. He's the guy on the the street for the the top mafia, the dons yeah. or whatever. The um, the thing you get from this film is the layers and the mafia hierarchy, mm. which I haven't, I didn't see as clearly in Casino or Goodfellas. So you get this view that these guys are the street level, not quite street level hoodlums, but they they get stuff done. Yeah, and the sort of the Don Corleones at the top, and, and Pesci always has the whole view of it, doesn't? Yes, it? he has. He, he knows whole everything. Thing. Well, you can't do that because of this and this and this. So don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it again. We'll start again. You yeah. ask me if yeah. you need to do something. And that was such a powerful scene where he went off on his own and tried to do something on his own as a favour for somebody. And then you realise, oh, oh he's, made, not effect because he's made this a is big this mistake and here. And and yeah. Just don't do it. And you go, oh, right. Yeah. Right, got it. Yeah. No, fantastic. Well, it's definitely on my list to see. I would have been with you, but I was in the Literary Festival that night, and but I definitely want to see it. So El Camino, a Netflix film which follows on from the end of the Breaking Bad TV series. Many people have wondered over the years what happened to the character of Jesse, Aaron Paul, after the end of the show. El Camino acts as an epilogue to that loose end. So Graham... Does it provide a satisfactory ending? Yes, it does. An amazing ending to Jesse Pinkman's story. It wraps it all up in a tense and thrilling story. The story picks up just moments after the end of Breaking Bad and we're dropped right back into the world with the surviving character. 
drugs, money, revenge, double crosses and adventure are delivered in bucket loads. I was so nervous going into this world again, hoping that it had the right tone and intensity to match the original series. Ten minutes in, I was right back in New Mexico with a familiar dread and anticipation. It was great. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I was really nervous about this film, probably for a different reason, because the thing about Breaking Bad, how it ended is, you, you felt that basically Jesse, it was just like Jesse had got away. Yeah. And then we, when you sort of saw that there was a, a, a continuing the story, and obviously it wasn't going to be that simple, and knowing Breaking Bad as it is would never guarantee a happy ending for any of its characters, I was sort of like, you know, worried for, for, for Jesse. And, and it, this film brought back everything that he went through everything that he lost all, all the trauma they had because he went through like in that last season he absolutely went through hell yeah this film was great to, to me it was like a modern day western the vast landscape but he you know he was basically sort of dealing with villains with this underworld and there was even like a shoot you know a, a fast draw shootout that was great uh, <laughs> yes yeah, uh, yeah and, and and the whole thing was basically about securing loot taking off with, with the money. It felt like a Breaking Bad TV show, but I wouldn't say a fast-paced epic story, but when you saw all the different stories that you got in there, you, you got more in this sort of two hours than you did in any two episodes of Breaking Bad. I absolutely love this film. I thought they got everything just right. Uh, yeah, and I thought it was very clever because there was an awful lot of flashback in this, an awful lot of filling in things that we didn't see in the final season. And it still managed to maintain real interest and drove the story forward. So they played a very clever piece of high wire act with giving us something from the old series and giving us some grounding. And oh, that's why that that happened. And then moving us forward into what happens to Jesse afterwards. And I loved the last two minutes, let's say, of it. I just loved that scene where he's in the car driving off into the distance and the person who appears in the car with him. I just thought it was absolutely wonderful and nice references back to everything that had happened. And I also enjoyed the shootout because that was so unexpected. I'd forgotten that he had another gun and I was so surprised when things turned out the way they did. And it was wonderful as well, just hang out with those characters again. You know, oh, just yes. for, just for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was just, it was just like you know, and it just sort of, you just got sort of little segments with with each one. It's almost like a tour of everything. I personally really enjoyed it. Could you watch it if you've never seen the TV series, or would it make no sense? I <sighs> don't think you get a lot out of it, to be honest. No, I think yeah, I, I think I think I think I think you've got to watch the TV show to get a, an idea of the tone of, of Breaking Bad, but also to just over a little sort of like you know what these characters mean and everything. Um, I think if you if you start with this, I think you'd be bemused. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll watch any the more than then. usual. Yeah, yeah well, I've never seen the series, so uh, yeah, series is fantastic. It's one of the first things I've ever seen where you start to question your own morality because <laughs> you're going along with this and you invest so much time and you're in sort of season four and you're going. Yeah, well, of course he had to kill that kid. <laughs> oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> what the right? hell am I saying? Yeah. So both of you enjoyed it then? Yeah, great. Great. Mm. Excellent. So that was El Camino. Let's move on. Same reviewers. Ad Astra. So from director James Gray comes this space epic about an astronaut played by the wonderful Brad Pitt, 
who learns his father, lost in space 16 years previous, may still be alive. Not only that, his father may know the reason behind a series of mysterious power surges which threaten all of humanity. Now, James Gray has said in interviews he wanted to capture the true nature of space travel. Darren, has he succeeded in that? And if so, does it make for good entertainment? Well, if he wanted to catch the essence of space travel by making it really long, slow and dull, then, then he did that. <laughs> <laughs> I was really disappointed with this because I was really looking forward to it. I got the impression it was going to be like Apocalypse Now in space, which, which it sort of was. But I just could not get on with it. It, it was just for, for me. It, I, I mean, I, I like sci-fi. I like sci-fi films. But a lot of modern sci-fi films, like stuff like this, uh, Interstellar, Solaris, films like that, I, I just find them so slow and so tedious. And, and not not just for sort of the longness of a space travel, but it, it seems to be that they, they try to basically make it that in, in the future, everyone's sort of like, just really sort of boring personalities like you know people don't have conversations we just have sort of you know long long sort of like staring looks and everything and i I just couldn't get on to it i know a lot of people have um, managed to analyze a lot into this saying it's about toxic masculinity or about you know father and son relationships but for, for me to, to basically really analyze a film it's got to keep me interested and i just couldn't i just couldn't get into it at all i'd say as well the tone was all over the place because there was two scenes in there that were like like these sort of like action scenes that basically just didn't fit with the rest of the film and if the rest of the film had been like more like that tone of those two scenes that i probably would have sort of like taken it on more the ending when when you know the big sort of like you know meeting at the end i i Honestly, couldn't tell you what the resolution was at all. I, I just, I was really disappointed in this. I'm a huge sci-fi fan, and I thought it was a complete and utter waste of time. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's it was dreadful. Now it started well. I thought, oh right, here we go. They're up on top of this huge tower trying to pick up radio waves from extraterrestrial life. And then, you know, the, something happens to the tower and he falls off. And that was a fantastically exciting scene. I thought, oh, this is going to be a bit of a roller coaster. And then it stopped. After it stopped, the end credits came up because nothing really happened after that. It was dreadful. You know, the thing about astronauts, they're trained professionals. Mm. And these guys were constantly having to do psych evaluations to see if they were still sane. No, these are the best humans we've got. But everybody was just doing stupid things. So here's the smartest people on the planet doing stupid things. They go onto this space station and get attacked by a monkey. You know, space monkey. Space monkey, yeah, space monkey. They get attacked by space monkey. But, you know, the first thing they do when they come to, they get onto the ship is say, let's separate because that's really clever. We can cover one another's back when we separate. It, these old horror tropes. And then the bit at the end was just ridiculous. You know, he'd gone out to get out of the way of the sun's effects, you know, the effect of the sun and the uh, photosphere. And yet he was taking photographs, which you could take from, like, the moon. And it was just nonsense. The science didn't stack up at all. He was able to sneak on board a spaceship that was taking <laughs> off from Mars by climbing up the outside of it and nobody noticed. <laughs> you know, it was just dreadful. Absolutely <laughs> dreadful. You know, Brad Pitt has daddy issues, so he goes to Uranus. And this film 
disappeared oh, up its shoe. cheap jokes are the best. <laughs> I tell you, it is, yeah. It Phil was, Foster uh, called this one of his films of the year. Obviously, I just don't have access to those sorts of drugs. Because I don't know what he was on when he watched it, you know. Oh, that conversation it, with Phil's going to be interesting next yeah. time, isn't You're it? You're listening, Phil. It's nothing to do with yeah, me. But it was shocking. Yeah, I agree with you. It was total rubbish. And I had such high expectations of it. And I just sat there getting more and more cross the longer it went on. Has Graham gone too far on this, Darren? Or do you think he's right? No, I think it is right. I mean, there's when you talk about this, this stu- stupid decisions made in this film, what, what, one of the things I couldn't get my head around is that the um, they, they had this journey towards the moon, and then they sort of landed on the moon, and then they had to traverse this massive, like, wide, dangerous space where there's all like these space, um, these like moon oh, God, yes. pirates oh, yeah. to get <laughs> to the other place. Moon where pirates and space monkeys. Moon pirates. Moon pirates and yes. space monkeys, yeah. Sounds Bally like lasers. Uh... To get over this land to get to the place where we're going to set off for the rest of the journey. And all I've got to think of is why didn't we just land or set up a landing pad? on the base where they're going to and then just go from there. (laughs) Exactly. It was just things like that. And and why were they actually, what were they actually doing on the moon anyway to sort of like, you know, what sort of resources were they fighting over? It just sort of, I just couldn't get into this film. Has that already been done by Wallace and Gromit? (laughs) Grand Air is more science-based than this nonsense. They go to the moon, so they they get out of Earth's gravity well, they go down another gravity well on the moon to then go up out of the gravity well to Mars, rather than just going into lunar orbit, picking up a, a rocket there and then going. It was just, oh, it was all over the place. It was shockingly bad. Cool. Well, I think that wraps that one Not up. Not one of the films of the year. Just no. wish you two would get off the fence. Um, <laughs> this is a, sorry, were we a bit indecisive? A, but there's been a lot of good reviews for it. I mean, I mean, there's been a lot of bad ones, but I've also heard some people calling it a masterpiece Foster and did. sort of like saying how emotional it was and everything. And I just couldn't get it at all. Didn't work for me on any emotional level. Okay, moving on. The next film is the horror comedy Ready or Not, reviewed by Jeff and Darren. The wealthy Lodomas family have made their fortune in games. They're not only wealthy, but they're also eccentric, which explains the ritual which happens whenever someone new weds into the family. At midnight after the wedding day, the new member has to play a game, which they select at random. Most are harmless, but ready or not is lethal. Its selection starts a murderous game of hide-and-seek where the new family member has to survive until dawn with the rest of the family hunting them. A horror comedy, one of the hardest types of movies to make. Jeff, does this one work for you? Yeah, it does. And it surprised me because when you look at the trailers, it looks like a straight horror movie. So imagine my surprise. I sit in to watch this and it gradually dawns on me, this is a comedy, a very black comedy, but a comedy nonetheless. Cluedo for real. In <laughs> fact, if you look around, the, all the, the weapons in Cluedo make appearances in this film. And I think what I really liked about it, it's a social satire, like a film like Society or even A Most Dangerous Game, that classic back from the 1930s. You must remember that one, Neil. And they hunt in the lead character, and she starts to dawn that this isn't a normal game of hide-and-seek. And when they accidentally kill one of the servants who's trying to point her out, they look round one another, the rest of the family, and say, but she was one of our favourites, like <laughs> it's a family pet. And I thought, 
yeah, that set a wonderful tone on this. So it's tremendous. It's very funny, cracking last liner, very gory as well, but it's handled in the right spirit. I, I thought it's a brilliant movie. What do you think, Dan? I enjoyed the hell out of this film. It was like a really simple concept, but they absolutely went totally all out with it. It was gory where it needed to be, but the other killings were imaginative and sort of really, really funny. I absolutely loved it. I felt it was a bit like an Agatha Christie um, scenario. The thing about Agatha Christie is you always, from your meeting a character within about like 20 seconds, you've got that character sussed as to what sort of they are. And that's what it was like in in here. As each of the the guests got introduced, you figured out that, oh, this is is like the gold digger. This is the the wayward son who's sort of like, you you know, drinking through his inheritance and all this. This is the hanger on. You got that real, you know, real sense. And, and it, it worked perfectly because everything about all the characters, they all had uh, something to do with being rich and nuts. And I absolutely love that. It was a complete satire on the wealthy. And, and I thought it was absolutely fabulous. And like you say, how the maids kept like getting killed yeah. off and everything, I thought was hysterical in the reactions. And also, the, the kids weren't exempt from this either. They basically sort of, you know, got theirs as, as well. You know, the kids were psychotic as the yes. parents and, and they yeah. got theirs. I, I, I thought it was absolutely uh, hilarious. I hate to say this because when I say things like this, sometimes it, it doesn't like, you know, pay off. But Samara Weaving, I thought if, if she doesn't become a big star, I'll be amazed because everything I've seen her in, she basically sort of, you know, steals, you know, the films that she's in. And I just thought in this, she was absolutely uh, amazing. You were really rooting for her. There's a moment at the end where, where something happens right at the end and her reaction to it is hysterical. She just sort of looks at something like with this, like sort of after yeah. everything that she's been through, this like sort of, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's like this like nonplussed um, sort of like reaction that she has. I just think it's hysterical. And I absolutely love this film. I just thought it was was so funny, so entertaining, so dark, and just a real guilty pleasure. Oh, nothing guilty about it. It's just a pleasure. <laughs> Her last line is just fantastic, which I won't pay off here because it's worth seeing the film just to hear that line. <laughs> okay. it's, it's amazing. It's clever. It plays with horror mm. in that you think, is this or is this not supernatural? You know, you start to think, as Darren said, it's like an Agatha Christie thing. But then it starts to creep in. Well, there may be something more going on here than you think. And I thought, again, that was really clever. There's a lovely homage to A Quiet Place. Oh, really? A famous scene in A Quiet Place with the nails sticking out of the yes. floor. Yeah. How they play on that. Oh, I was oh, I was cringing at that one, Darren. I, I, yeah. But again, yeah. really, really good how they did it. I, I got to agree with you. I think she's tremendous. She was great in Three Billboards. She's good in here. I think the only thing that could work against her she does look a lot like Margot Robbie. Yeah, exactly. That's so I thought was in it. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, she does. And uh, whether that'll work against her, I don't know. I do see if she d- goes into fantasy horror movies, she will be huge. She has that ability. She showed the fear, but when the tide turns and she starts to get the upper hand, I mean, that bit in the car, Darren, you know, when um, they're, they're talking to the chauffeur so they, they're looking at the camera in the car so they can see what she's doing behind the driver. Yeah. I thought it was just brilliant. The looks on their faces. And you realize that actually these people may be rich, but they're not the sharpest crayons in the box, are they? No. <laughs> to mix your no. metaphors. 
Yeah. What, sharpest crayons in the box? Sharpest crayons. Yeah, I like sharp crayons. <laughs> sharpest <laughs> knife. knife in the box. Sharpest crayons. <laughs> okay, fine, right. That's yeah, okay. obviously a horror reference I don't get there. They don't stay sharp long, yeah. do they? Yeah, they but do. Everything they've got is like inherited. It's, you know, they've, yes. they've basically they've, they've yes, not they. they've not built this empire themselves. They've basically had it passed down to them, you know. So no sort of discernible talent amongst them that's got them rich. Oh, hmm. It, but, it, it yeah. was like watching a Tory cabinet meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just want to say another thing about Samara, Samara Weaving. Um, there's another film. In fact, actually, the first film I ever actually saw her in, it's a Netflix film called The Babysitter. That's a really small little independent horror movie as well. She's a, like a more of a lead in that one as well, so that's that's worth uh, having a look at. Okay, that was Ready or Not. Okay, moving on. It's Official Secrets. The true story of Catherine Gunn, played by Kira Knightley, an employee of GCHQ in the early 2000s. That was until she became a whistleblower going to the press with information that the US and UK were planning a dirty tricks campaign. This was a part of a lead up to the Iraq war of 2003. I understand Yorkshire stands in for Cheltenham in this film. How did it work out for you, Neil? Yorkshire is very different from Cheltenham. In fact, I I reckon at least certain numbers of the audience we watched in Cheltenham were trying to work out where the house was and (laughs) where she was walking, and it turns out it wasn't anywhere near. It was a couple hundred miles away. I think we were surrounded by spooks in that cinema. Or retired (laughs) spooks. There were a few, yes, and I'm not sure what... Tutting at certain points, you're going, what's wrong there? Have they spotted that? No, I think it was... I think it was more because I've spoken to one and they, they're not happy with her. No. Whether that goes across everybody, but uh, yeah. I thought it was a very clever, well-thought-out spy thriller and Kira Knightley is actually very good in the role of Catherine Gunn. The filmmakers tried really hard not to glorify her role, but yeah. a lot of the people she talks to in The Observer and Ray Fiennes plays the lawyer who defends her, or are glorifying it, saying it. She says she's done something very brave. I mean, she threw away her career. There's a real chance of losing her husband. She had everything to lose, very little to gain apart from her, her principle, really. And she did regret <laughs> posting the letter to somebody to uh, pass on to the press. Her role was a spy. She knew what the job entailed. If she didn't like it, she wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So why did she go and do it? And she always feels like she's done the wrong thing and she's panicking and such like. So I thought it worked very well. It's not a Jason Bourne thriller. It's nowhere near. It's a slow-burning spy story and it's the way the British government dealt with the Gulf War and WMD fiasco. Um, I was surprised how tense the film was as Gunn awaits her fate. Wow. I thought it was quite good. I like the comparison you made there, talking about Jason Bourne. You're right, it's not that sort of film. And I was interested to see at the end, and I had forgotten that Gavin Hood, a wonderful South African director actually, had made this film. And it fits in with me with a companion piece to his earlier film, Eye in the Sky. And in both films, Eye in the Sky is about a drone attack. In this, it's about a person who gets an information and they have to decide will I leak this to the press or should I just do my job and keep quiet? And in both films, it's if you were in that situation, what would you do? Well, in, in that in that situation and in Eye in the Sky, sorry to butt in, that was their job. 
thought the point about this, and maybe I was wrong because I haven't seen this, I thought the point was that they were sexing up these WMDs no, so, for political reasons. There right. was no, there was no, no this real... Is, this was before that. So what they were doing is, and this is quite early in the film and it's a, a matter of public record, so I'm not really spoiling it, but for anybody who wants to see it without knowing any knowledge, please skip over this bit. So essentially what happened is they got a memo, essentially, from America. It was sent to all these operatives in GCHQ. It basically informed them that America was taking the lead, but Britain were going to back them up, that smaller states in the UN were going to be blackmailed into supporting the war in Iraq. And so the when, request for the, oh, for the right. to the GCHQ people was for stuff to blackmail them with. So it's political intrigue and espionage, yes. not really protecting our country and our national interests. So it's yeah, a politically it motivated didn't thing. stop us going to war anyway. Exactly. No. And, well, yeah, and there are reasons why she released the memo, it got to the press, and then things didn't unfold as they should have done for really stupid reasons. Yeah. And when you see that in the film and you, and they discredited the whole thing, the other press discredited everything based on an incident that happened that should never have happened. It was totally genuine what she, what she had done. But by that time, it was too late. The, the whole thing, the express train was running. The performance is great. I thought Ralph Fiennes was excellent. Yes, he does um, play that very well. And the yeah. chap who was in the... Um, who is the op- his oppo tries to talk to him. Yeah, the beach. And there's a great line there, and he says, Look, do you mind just piss off and go fishing somewhere else? <laughs> no one he said, no, no, I'm serious. Yes, this takes place now almost 20 years ago, but it is relevant for today. And there's a line that I wrote down from the film, which I thought was great. Just because you're the prime minister, it doesn't mean you get to make up your own facts. <laughs> And how true is that? I think that's why the film was made now. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, possibly. Well, no, we had yes, another moral, we had another idiot before this one, didn't we? So I can't really. It's a moral that. judgment to be made on her. I think the only thing I can say against the film, which don't it doesn't go up there as my film of the month, is you've got these great arguments from these great actors being put forward, their moral judgments, and then you've got a relationship at the heart of the film of Kira Knightley and her husband. Who, Funny enough, is it uh, a Kurd? And that just gets a little bit soap opery on occasions, no. and it doesn't need to do that. There's one particular race to the airport sequence, which clearly never happened in that way. Well, couldn't have done. He was yeah. in the holding area, about to go onto the plane, and he was. She was a hundred and something miles away, but she made it in time. She, she made it in time, and you think, well, hang on, that's an hour and a half, even even at middle of night. Even from Yorkshire, sorry, Cheltenham. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It is a good film. It's a, it's, a, it's a good British film. I think Kira Knightley is really good, and even people that don't like Knightley, I would recommend them giving this one a go. Yeah, I, think, uh, I yeah. thought she was very good. She pretty much could have ruined her entire life. Her husband deported. They could have done anything. They were all over. They were watching her, bugging her, wow. everything. She went on a train journey. There were two, one behind her, one in front, constantly watching her. And, and they would be today, except that ultimately she left this country and went to somewhere safer. So today she's now living in Turkey. <laughs> true. That is true. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Oh, that's interesting, Jeff. Yeah, there we go. So that was Official Secrets. 
So let's do some quick catch-up on some older films we've been watching. Let's go to Graham and Neil, who caught up with the classic Bonnie and Clyde. So recently, Graham and Neil were on BBC Radio Gloucestershire to talk about this classic 60s movie. Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway are bank robbers Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow in a film which went far beyond what was acceptable for violence at the time. Uh, Times changed. Is it still shocking today, Graham? It's not shocking, but it was nice to see the start of a very, very different era of filmmaking. So it was just after the Hayes Codes had been um, thrown out, was it? or just Thrown just, out or were they well, sort repealed, of reviewed? Repealed, probably, yeah. 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 And uh, so you had a, a level of violence that was... And yes, it was great. It was nice to go back and see it. And she's stunning. She steals the show completely for me. I thought her performance was great. I didn't think Warren Beatty brought his A game to this, although it did make a fortune for him and yeah. and he was certainly seen as the star of it. I enjoyed it. Some of it's a bit dated. There was a beautiful, beautiful scene in the middle, which is almost like a dream scene where they go to it for a picnic, which I thought was fabulously shot. The music's great, flattened scrubs, the dueling banjo sort of stuff, <laughs> great stuff. It's just a solid film, and uh, I'd forgotten most of it because, you know, I saw it so long ago. Yeah. 67. 67, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I take your point on Warren Beatty. Again, I haven't seen it in years, but Beatty didn't want to act in it. He just wanted to be producer. All right. So oh. I think that may be part of the reason. Interesting. What are your thoughts on it, Neil? I was surprised at how well it played uh, 52 years on. Faye Dunaway is electric. I agree with Graham on this. As Bonnie and the cinematographer, Bernard Guffey, won the Oscar for the film. And some people were calling him a, a sort of mod Robin Hood in his gang, except they weren't very good at robbing banks and he, they weren't very good at giving money to the poor either. Yeah, I think they it's, failed at that completely. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they ever gave any money to the poor. It was, it was interesting. It was it was fascinating to see it again. I, was, I can't remember seeing it. It was so long ago. I was interested to see how... how how much they pushed against the Hayes guidelines. I know they were uh, peeled or something, but they really did go for it. Oh, yeah. This was, the, this was a landmark film, as was The Graduate, which pushed all the sex bit. But yes, a very, very good film. Okay, reviews by one of the team. Gangster number one, Jeff, staying with our gangster theme, which has covered so many of our films this month. Jeff, recently caught up with this British gangster film from 2000 in which stars Malcolm McDowell and Paul Bettany. A tough London gangster looks back on his life on the eve of one of the biggest rivals being released from prison. Jeff, how does this compare with Bonnie and Clyde? If Bonnie and Clyde pushed the envelope, they shredded the envelope and threw it in the bin. <laughs> There's a sequence in this film where Paul Bettany sets up his boss by killing a, a rival gang mob, by dismembering him uh, in a five-minute sequence. Except you see the sequence from the point of view being dismembered. So he's lying Ooh. out on the floor. You see the initial sort of attack on him, but when he gets down on the floor and he can't get back up, you see the rest of it from Bettany, whether he's leaning over him, whether he's covered in blood, he's got this whole array of hacksaws and things. He's oh, doing great. <laughs> Um, it's an 18 certificate, oddly enough. Really? Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Not a 12A. Yeah. <laughs> Not animated then. So it's a very striking film. I hadn't intended to watch it. It was one of those films on TV late at night. I thought, I'll give it five minutes. I always wanted to see it. But I just got hooked for the two hours it was on. And, and 
it comes back in to films like Joker because you're not quite sure. All of this, the whole story has been narrated by Malcolm McDowell, who's looking back on his rise to power in the underworld and how he got his boss, his big rival, into prison. You're not quite sure if what you're watching really happened. And one of the funny things was, and the critics picked up on it, is McDowell, who's brilliant. When he flashes back, his younger self is played by Paul Bettany. It's interesting because all the other actors in the film, people like David Thewlis, play themselves both young and old, except Bettany becomes Malcolm McDowell. And, of course, Bettany is a lot taller than Malcolm McDowell. He's a good seven, eight inches taller. And part of this is when he's thinking back on his past, this is how he wants it to be remembered. Uh, he wants to be yeah. bigger, bigger and, and better. More powerful. So uh. it, what looks like a continuity error is actually brilliant. It's just really, really well done. As I said, McDowell is great. Bettany is really chilling. I've never seen him give a performance like this before. Or since then, he really, um, you know, I remember him from films like A Knight's Tale. Mm. Of course, he yeah, did yeah. those silly Marvel things. But, <laughs> but in this, it's a genuinely chilling performance and definitely worth seeing. As I said, it's loosely based on Rise of Gangster Freddy Frazier, or Mad Freddy Frazier. Okay. Uh, he'd probably be livid if he'd seen this. And as a complete side note, his son has a small role in the film. Wow. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. But... If you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. It is extremely violent and it's extremely sweary, but definitely worth a look at. Okay. Okay, thank you. So let's go to Darren's Dash. Time now for Darren's Dash, where Darren reviews films he has managed to catch up with this month that us, the retired slackers, haven't. Darren, over to you. The first film that I saw was Judy. Now, I'm a big sucker for a biopic, so this one's right up my street. It's all about Judy Garland in the uh, the twilight of her career. She's down on a look to her whole sort of like career has, has gone to port. Uh, she needs money and she manages to score some concert dates in the UK. So she goes over there and she has she basically has a self-destructive nature. You know, she has an alcohol problem. She's managed to get herself with a, uh, a, a new husband who basically is pretty clear that he's uh, manipulating her and using her for his own ends. And it's a really sort of, tr- on one hand, tragic film about sort of like a, you know, a loss, a star, sort of like in a final uh, uh, going for glory. But it's also quite sweet and hopeful in the fact that she also finds in this sense a opportunity to sort of like, you know, reconnect with fans and everything. There's this wonderful sort of couple who obviously are a gay couple because it's Judy Garland, absolutely adore her and go to see her every night who she becomes friends with. And I've got to say, I don't know a great deal about Julie Garland at this sort of uh, towards the end of her life, what she was like. But I thought Renny Zellweger in this film was absolutely amazing in, in this role. I don't know if it was accurate to what she was like, but just the character that she played was absolutely stunning. I also loved the musical numbers. They did something here where the film seemed to change when she was on stage and performed the musical numbers. Somehow it just sort of like, you know, sort of shot it differently. So it was a few were watching this performance live. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. It was really sad, really tragic at times. Also had some like really beautiful moments as well. This I, this film I absolutely really loved. 
keep just saying to my wife, I'll take it to see it. It's just finding the time. It's definitely on my list to, to watch. Yeah, I do remember the famous London Palladium, which I don't know is in the film where she didn't turn up on stage and they basically had to drag her on there in the end. Um, as that was shown live on TV. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting and definitely one I want to see. So what's Rennie Zellweger's performance like? Does she become Judy Garland do, or, or do you just see Rennie Zellweger doing a performance? That's the thing. What I found really freaky was, at times, I couldn't see Rennie Zellweger in there at all. Wow. It, it was, honestly, it just felt like I was watching an old uh, classic movie star. I just thought her performance was amazing. She was just so, so, so in this role. I've got to say, one, one thing I didn't mention is um, you sort of felt sympathy for her, even though she had this self-destructive streak. It, it kept doing flashbacks to her as a child when she was sort of like a child star with the studio. And some of the things that was happening back then was absolutely terrifying. It was a real eye-opener to what Hollywood was like in that era when she was making Wizard of Oz and everything. Those moments were at times uncomfortable and quite sobering. And anyone who sort of like, you know, loves Hollywood or the classics or anything like that, I think it's a real eye-opener what sort of a lot of the child stars, how they were used and abused. So question for you then, Darren. Having seen this, would you now watch Wizard of Oz in the same way? That's a good question. I've not actually thought of that. I have to say, though, when I watch films, I'm pretty good at sort of like, you know, blocking out to the things, uh, you know, going on around it. Like, I, for example, I, I, I will still watch like Woody Allen films, even though there's some, you know, some of the unsavory things which have come up about him. I, I will still watch a film like The Usual Suspects, even though Kevin Space is in it. So I, I can block things out like that. I think it, you would sort of, you, you wouldn't help but be able to like think twice, looking at this from a new perspective. Definitely way up my list now to watch. Yep. Okay. What's next on the list? The second film that I saw it was a film called uh, Don't Let Go, which is a little sort of independent film. It's from Blumhouse. I did a little bit of a uh, producing um, uh, deal with this. Uh, this one's about a police detective whose brother seems to have committed a, a murder-suicide on his family. He's killed his wife and he's killed his daughter, who the police detective was really close to his niece. And afterwards, he starts to get phone calls, which appear to be from the niece. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about the story, because <laughs> the, thing, the thing about this film, which makes it for in, actually enjoyable, was the actual story and how it sort of starts to unfold and how you sort of slowly start to grasp what is actually going on with these phone calls. And it is really sort of, from how it starts as a straight detective series, I don't think you can sort of predict how it is actually going to go. I went into this film totally blind, not knowing absolutely anything about it. And it was quite surprising, the direction of what sort of film this, this was. The thing about this film is it was all about the story and also the, the really nice relationship between the detective and his niece, to the mystery that came out of this. There were a lot of backstory and plot lines that never really went anywhere. And also, quite frankly, were left totally dangling by the end of the film. There was also a lot of scenes that, uh, particularly in the sort of the finale, that just went on too long. That I was sort of saying, okay, I've got the idea of this, just move it on. You know, the, the, the pacing on some of the scenes was was way off. But generally speaking, I, I liked this film. I have to say, if you don't see it in the cinema, you're not really missing anything. It's one that I think you will be able to enjoy when it uh, appears on streaming. And it is really worth watching. I sort of like, you know, really enjoy the story. It's, it's not essential viewing, 
but is there sort of like a, just like a sort of an evening viewing? I personally really enjoyed it. It's it's a worth it's a worthy film to to watch on. You know, it's not like go out your way to watch it, but it is worth a watch. Bloomhouse tend to do horror movies. Does this venture into that territory without um, giving the game away? Without giving the game away, um, I wouldn't say that it's horror, but it's neither, and neither is it a straight detective police drama. Put okay. it that way. Right. We'll gloss over that and watch out for it, I think, guys. Yeah, that sounds that interesting. Yep. Okay. Next one, please. Okay, uh, the next film was a was a nice little independent film called Good Posture, which was written and directed by Dolly Wells. I don't want to sound patronising when I say that, but this was just a charming, lovely little movie. It's about a young woman called Julia who's living in New York, and she splits up with a boyfriend. She has to move in with a couple who are friends with her father. And one of them is a uh, an author who's quite a bit of a recluse. And from the start, it's clear that they basically then they're not going to get on with each other. And they start communicating by writing messages to each other in a journal. By doing this, they kind of have so they don't actually see each other for much of the film. But the author sort of like you know basically locked up in bedroom at writing. But they managed to get this sort of this like conversation going, and it's just like a sweet little movie. The character Julia, she's it's kind of like a coming of age film because the, the character Julia, she's got no direction in life. She's got sort of an ambition, but she basically has no like sort of like ethic to basically see it through. She's quite lazy and everything, and she basically doesn't know where she's gonna go. And she starts to sort of get a passion by being in this house and by getting to, to know this author. And it's, a, it's just, a, just a nice little sort of growing up type movie. The film itself looks gorgeous. It's got like a really romanticised view of New York, like arty type area. And the film looks sort of, sort of beautiful. It's sort of all set in like autumn and like sort of winter. Julia sort of meets, uh, she, she basically starts up a friendship with the, um, with the author's um, uh, dog walker and stuff. Like a really nice sort of gentle movie i really i really really took to this um it's really strange because i i left the, the movie for and as i was leaving there was like a um a lot of like sort of young girls and older women who were basically also to like just like i said i don't know what that film was about and everything like that and they're the, they're the sort of people that i thought would have really sort of um, been open to this film with it being sort of about you know a young woman sort of making a way i personally loved it i i, re- I really thought there was a, a lot in it and it's a it's a really nice little film it's one that it's a shame if you didn't see it but you didn't see it in this cinema because it just sort of it looks really sort of like nice and warm and lovely definitely want to sort of catch on I, I thought this was a smashing little film excellent that's one i'll watch out for one final one for the dash this was a real surprise this was called a vigilante uh, written and directed by sarah dagger nixon and starring olivia wilde this film is on netflix and it's also was a film that was produced partly by moviepass which is never not <laughs> considering the other things that MoviePass has been involved in is not exactly going to be sort of like one to get you sort of excited about. It's about a woman who is living off the grid, and she basically she has a mysterious past, and she's acting as a vigilante 
who specialises in saving women from abusive relationships, from uh, sort of husbands or boyfriends. Now, this sounds like a sort of like a B-movie premise, but it's totally not that at all. This is a really sort of down-to-earth, gritty and quite harrowing film. It's all about her sort of like trying to you know, save women from uh, abusive uh, relationships. And it's very sort of satisfying in the sense that you basically get to see justice done. The violence, a lot of it sort of happens like off screen. You just get like just sort of like the oddest sort of like little touch of violence. And then you see like the aftermath of it. The real meat of this story is what's actually happening to Olivia Wilde's character and also the, the women in there who are basically being sort of ha- having to be saved. Olivia Wilde's backstory is absolutely harrowing. When you find out what it is that's driven her to take this course of life, it's a really upsetting backstory. And also you, there's these um, meetings that she that she's involved in with people who are sort of in abusive relationships. And you just get a sense of, as they're telling their stories, of this sort of like, you know, what, you know, what's going on. And it's really quite sort of like heartbreaking. And I thought this film was absolutely amazing. It's, it is real. It's, it's very exciting and very sort of like sort of mellow pace to it, if that makes sense. It's not like an all out action film. It's very sort of almost realistic. And I thought this was absolutely stunning. Uh, I'm amazed that I've, we've not heard more about this thing. Maybe it's because of the movie past connection and it's, it's failed to basically sort of get any attention. But I thought this film was was really great. There's one thing I like about it as well is that the, the essence of this film is the, is that it's a, a woman helping other women standing together. And I just thought this film was absolutely amazing. It's a really worthwhile film to check out. Like I say, it's on Netflix right now. And I was absolutely su- surprised at this film. I thought it was wonderful. Wow. This month you started on the dash with a film I can take my wife to and you ended with a film I can't let her see. Fantastic. <laughs> why, really wouldn't, why wouldn't you take her to see that? Because of, oh, of the vigilante stuff. enjoy it at all. Rather than that you don't you, want her to uh, get uh, any but... ideas. No, 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 no. no. You, you've drawn completely the wrong conclusion there. No, as Darren said, it's very harrowing in places. Right. Reasons why people become that. There's no way on earth she'll watch that. Okay. Thank you, Darren. Let's move on to our Film of the Month selection. Darren, what is your Film of the Month? Uh, My Film of the Month is Ready or Not. Interesting choice. Neil? Um, Mine's Joker. I mean... The Irishman. Can I have both? No. Which one? Oh, damn it. Joker. Thank you. Graham. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> there you go. Can okay. I have both? <laughs> the Irishman <laughs> and Joker. No, yeah, I'll have the off. Irish Joker. <laughs> uh, no, uh, probably Joker. And I am amazed and surprised that I'm going to agree with you. Joker. <laughs> Joker for you. Although, yeah, Joker Because you for didn't me. see The Irishman. I didn't see The Irishman, but I did see Ready or Not, and I think that's a great little film as well. But um, no, thinking about it, it's Joker. Okay. Okay. Darren, thank you very much again. Thank you for your views and reviews. And we'll catch up with you next. Well, we have something special coming for our listeners. If they stay tuned, they will find out what that is. And we'll speak again for your films of the year. Thank you very much, mate. Thank yeah, you. Thanks a lot for having me. Take care. Cheers, Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Hello from your At The Flicks team. Now, after a summer break, we return to our local Cineworld Cinema for another chat about what is upcoming with Cineworld Manager Steve. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. So, before we get to talk about films, let's talk about charity um, arrangements. Now, last time we spoke, you were about to go dive in with sharks. Yes, and... I'm here, I'm still alive, just about, all the fingers, toes, everything's there. It was an experience, a real experience. I got very, very sick when I was out there. Thankfully, I am still here to tell the tale. I've raised, personally, £367 to date through the Just Giving page, which is fantastic and really appreciate anyone that donated through that. Thankfully, there were a lot of dolphins around. And sharks and dolphins don't get along, so there weren't many sharks. So I was quite happy. Yeah, I'll get in the water with a dolphin all you want. (laughs) Um, It it was a real experience. Not something I'd do again in a hurry, though, I don't think. Um, But it's all for a very good cause. So you saw loads of dolphins. Did you actually see a shark? Not uh, other than pictures. Um, A lot of other wildlife that we saw, and we saw kind of crests in the distance that according to our skipper could have been okay so um, so you died with dolphins and looked at a book of sharks pretty much yeah oh, excellent. so that's, good. that's still, the way still to do equally it. as scary and just to make sure it was worthwhile people donating i went home and watched jaws oh, so. good rather you than me i'd still be a bit dubious about dolphins i don't trust them oh trust me the cold water was the worst bit so talking of scary, let's talk about Halloween and what you've got coming up this year. Not really any big horror films as such around Halloween this year, which is strange, but there's still some kind of action, quite intense things. So Terminator Dark Fate, that's one that comes out 25th of October. It does look quite good. Everything I've seen so far, clips of this, I'm actually quite intrigued to see how they kind of link it to the ones that have gone before and how it all ties in. Well, I, I read an interview recently with Edward Furlong, of course, has had his troubles over the years. Yeah. And he's been back and done a cameo, but he's not allowed to say where John Connor fits in with his story because there's nothing of John Connor in any of the trailers yet. No, not yet. And I, I've heard there's been a lot of secrecy about where John Connor fits in and whether he even will feature in this film. It, he surely must. And if they're keeping it that quiet, I think it must be something quite big. Yeah. There is a Halloween film for Neil, I'm pleased to say, this year. The Adams Family. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's certainly one for the uh, avid horror fans out there, I think. Go see The Adams Family. It's a new sort of 3D animated version. It looks very fun, along the same sort of vein as Hotel Transylvania, that kind of thing. This one comes out on the 25th of October. But what I do like and what I've seen on this is... The characters are based very much on Charles Adams' original comic strip. So I think That's they've good. got the look of it. Yes. Yeah. And like I say, it's not gone too dark where it's not going to be suitable for the younger children. Also, on Halloween day at 8 p.m., we are having a one day special of The Shining for those real hardcore horror fans. So that one is going to be coming, which ties me nicely into the following week, 1st of November. For Doctor Sleep, so this the is sequel to the Shining. Sequel, yes. Ewan McGregor, I, I love Ewan McGregor. I think he's a very good actor. He's not really done any bad films for mm. quite some time. We won't look at some of his older stuff that was awful, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. this one looks. It's kept the same feeling 
It's The Shining gave me, I, I think I'm probably going to go watch it first time and be confused as hell and have to go and watch it two, three, four more times and still not understand what the hell's going on. Well, Stephen King's given it a thumbs up. He's already seen it. I think it will confuse audiences and fans of The Shining because Halloran, one of the characters who doesn't survive the original film but does survive the original novel, is in Doctor Sleep. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's a, there's there's could. a few things uh, how they're gonna, gonna they're gonna work this. I'm really intrigued to see this. This is actually probably one of the films over the next two three months that I am looking forward to going to see. Um, I'm not a big horror fan myself. And it's good you're saying it's something you're looking forward to when you consider the list of films coming out between now and the end of the year. Oh yeah, That's... there's some some massive massive films, but that is definitely one I'm looking forward to speaking of massive films and shot again locally to where i am uh, in the oxfordshire area director tom hooper brings the aeronauts this is a story about sort of man's expeditions when it comes to balloon flight and the, some of the first balloon flights stars eddie redmayne yeah and uh felicity jones um who i've been told did 99.9% of her own stunts in this and when you see the film I've been lucky enough to see a little bit of the footage some of the stunts are insane looks phenomenal, visually stunning this is one that if I do go and watch I will only go and watch in two formats I will either go and watch it in IMAX or 4DX I think this could be one that really really works in 4DX so okay. this is the motion seats with the wind and the rain and yeah. the snow just been installed into Cheltenham recently as you guys will more than likely know Aeronauts I think will certainly be one that yeah. 4DX so, will lend so itself to. Just to come back to my question on that, you actually saw them part of the filming of that, didn't you? You saw the balloon locally I, in the I area. did. Uh, driving to work, and I was like, what the hell is that? And there was a couple of normal air balloons that I'm used to seeing, and then there was this huge slimline balloon. It's like someone had grabbed the sides of a normal hot air balloon and squished it together. I'm thinking, what the hell is that? And then all of a sudden, there was like a helicopter flying around it, and I'm like, what is that? Then I got to work and one of my managers said to me, oh, yeah, they're, they're filming Aeronauts. I was like, what? But, yeah, amazing to see. And What else we got coming up, Steve? So moving into mid-November, there is Last Christmas. This is one that, again, I was lucky enough to see a few clips of this when I was recently away on a conference. story revolved around George Michael songs. It's a similar sort of thing to Mamma Mia, where there's a story, but... They kind of burst into song every now and again. It looks different from Mamma Mia at the same time, though, where it doesn't seem as cheesy. I think the cheesiness worked for Mamma Mia. I think if they did that with George Michael's songs, it's going to just be a bit weird where they spontaneously burst into songs about Careless Whisper. Why would that suddenly just turn up? But I think they've done it very well. This I'm really looking forward to. And the performances look very good from what I've seen. And there's only two Christmas-themed films coming out this year, and each are different to the other. I think Black Christmas is coming out early December. So you've got you know, The Nice Christmas of Last Christmas or the other one of Black Christmas. Yes, uh, there, there is a third one in there that you're forgetting. And again, I think this could be one for... Uh for probably Neil more than anyone else. Frozen 2. Oh, yes. Oh, 22nd yeah. of November. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Posters again have just gone up. That is one that is going to run and run and run and run until I can take no more and I lock the doors and just yeah. cry in a corner. 
that'll be a big one over yeah. the sort of Christmas period for the kids as well. Before end of November, another reboot of Charlie's Angels. It's going to be interesting because I think I remember my parents watching the TV series and not really registering any of it too much. Then I remember the Drew Barrymore, uh, Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu sort yeah. of reboot for for the movies. And I thought the first one of that was very good. Yeah. The second one started to go a little bit downhill. How are they going to take a different stance with this one or are they going to go along the same sort of vein? Looks interesting, action-packed, fun, plenty of sort of one-liners in there as well. And I think it'll do pretty well. Now, coming out around the same time with that is a, a film that I'm really looking forward to called Knives Out. Yes, it looks interesting. For me, I, I don't think we're likely to get it here in Whitney, which is really sad. So people might have to travel a bit further afield from Oxfordshire. Do you reckon? I think it's going to be huge. I, I think it will be huge. I, I just don't know if, because of us only having five screens here, I think Charlie's Angels is going to... Kind okay. of outplay that in Whitney. Massive, massive cast. And like I say, it's I think it's gonna be that all female cast of Charlie's Angels going head to head with some real juggernaut actors and actresses in there that we know are gonna pull out amazing performances because they always seem to in the films that they're in. My tip for film that's gonna sneak in there and I don't think many people would have heard of just yet. It's just starting to get some sort of trailers out there and a bit of press talk is uh, Lucy in the Sky. This is Natalie Portman. Yeah, Noah Hawley, who did Fargo on TV's directed it. Yes. Um, so this is loosely based on the story of the astronaut that came back down to Earth and found out that um, her partner had been having this affair and kind of went to murder the other person and it's loosely based on that oh, I remember do you that. remember that yeah, in the press that. and that's what that's all loosely based on i think that is going to be a dark horse over the christmas and i think it will take a lot of people by surprise and again it's on my list of ones to watch there's a couple of one day specials that we've got going on over that time as well classic christmas film of gremlins oh, oh brilliant original, original. Yeah. and also elf so this okay. is the uh, Will Ferrell film that everyone seemed to love. Uh, for me, I grew up with Santa Claus, the movie, the one that had Dudley Moore in it. The bizarre thing with Elf is it's taken on this life of his own now, where you've got the stage show of it, yeah. you've got an animated version of it that's you know designed for, for really small children. Yeah. It, it, it's it will really just keep strange. going. It yeah. has become, a, like I say, a Christmas classic and... Uh, everyone wants to see it. Yeah, whereas I think, you know, the classic Christmas with the Cranks has been forgotten. <laughs> so, moving on. <laughs> so then we move to mid-December. Uh, as you already said, Black Christmas is out then. Uh, 13th of December for that one. And it also goes up against Jumanji the next level. Yeah. So The Rock's back, along with Kevin Hart. He's back. All of the cast are back from the first one. It looks... Great. I really enjoyed, actually, the yeah, me too. The reboot of Jumanji. I was worried at the time. I grew up with Robin Williams and Jumanji, and he, for me, was just perfect in that film. I couldn't see how they could reboot it and redo it without him in it. What looks good on this one from the trailers is it's different people 
with the avatars this time. So you've got Danny DeVito and Danny Glover <laughs> as two of the characters. Yeah. So you've got whole, you know, they've got to act in a different way. Yes. And, and it looks very funny from the trailer. It does, yeah. And you've got some little science fiction film after that. There's two films that are huge the week after. So we've got Cats coming. Yeah, yeah I'm looking so forward to Cats. Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical is being brought yeah. to the big screen. Having seen the trailer, it looks odd. Huge cast and some real singers in there, and then Taylor Swift. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Looks weird, but they've got the music right, so let's see how they piece it all together. So really looking forward to that. And then, as you say, the world's probably smallest sci-fi film franchise ever with Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Posters right behind me, as you can see. There's been a lot of talk about the poster already and people trying to guess what's going on. I think they've been very clever with how they've put the poster out, how they've caused it, the rise of Skywalker. They're they're pushing all of these fan theories and they'll get buzzed no matter what around it. it. It's one of those films that will just carry on and on and on. And that pretty much takes us up to Christmas. So it's going to be a crazy run in for the last sort of yeah. two, three months of the year. And then uh, a lot of things to look forward to next year as well. I think it's uh, it's it's going to be massive. I think one last little icing on the cake at the end of the year is Little Women, which I think opens on Boxing Day. Uh, we've not had anything confirmed okay. past Christmas week uh, at right. the moment okay. yet. So ours I, goes not- as far as the 20th. I've heard that that's the release date, but I've also learned over the years that these release no. dates change a lot. And we are talking a fair way in advance here. So yeah, there, well. I mean, there's the strong possibility, I think, that Jumanji might actually get dropped to the Boxing Day slot um, that it had last year. That's an incredible lineup. And on top of that, you, we've already spoken about some of the Christmas films coming up, the Elf and gremlins and i imagine somewhere as we get nearer the date it's a wonderful life will make yet another appearance oh it'll keep coming back every year i can almost guarantee it along with some live events so yeah i was going to talk to you about live events because i did some research for coming down today and you've got opera ballet um national theater there's some incredible stuff lined up there free cine world pretty much does the met operas and the royal opera house and national theater lives We've also added to that live concerts. So we've got Shakira live concert coming up. So we've added Bolshoi ballets to that, musicals from both the West End and Broadway. We've got 42nd Street, the musical, coming 10th and 12th of November. Royal Shakespeare Company, uh, Depeche Mode concert, Metallica concert. There are so many different options and it's not just set for those that like you know the classical opera side of things there are concerts as well that people can come to the one that took me by surprise because i'd never watched one before was the national theater live i went to watch fleabag a couple of weeks ago and it was amazing it's yeah. a, a one-woman show and it kept me gripped of all of those i know it's extremely popular here but but if you had to go you know opera ballet national theater the live concerts which sell out the quickest for you here personally at Whitney, it uh, tends to be the Met operas that sell out the quickest. I always say, I think every podcast when I talk about the live events, you will not get a better seat in the house than in the cinema. Yeah, I can see why you're so busy now. Yeah. That that is an amazing, amazing lineup. And as you say, we've got some classic films like Gremlins, like Elf, coming back in as well. 
Yeah, um, there'll be plenty more on top of that, as we I say. There will it's be. a wonderful life. It's a shoe in. We know it's coming back. Yeah. They, they always say, oh, we're not sure it's coming back. And every year it comes back. So I'd expect that one as well. May I be the first to say to you, have a happy Christmas. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we'll see you in January. Absolutely. And uh, have a great Christmas and New Year yourself. Cheers. Thank, Thank you. As for next month, the format is a little different. As Jeff and I are away, not together, I quickly point out, my editing nerves couldn't stand that. <laughs> so we have a review from the London Film Festival and a catch-up on streaming with Deck. An interview with the creator of Pulp Serial and Elijah's Return. Speaking of returns, Phil Stubbs is back for a director-on-director discussion. And a discussion on female superheroes. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. So does that mean I'm in charge next month? Yes, Neil, but don't touch that box marked Brexit until we return. Or the one titled Impeachment. <laughs> and to everyone else, thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and goodbye. goodbye. That's a wrap. You know, for the kids. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website, attheflicks.uk. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.